Hello and welcome to this first uh, virtual sheet music interview. My name is Fabrizio Ferrari and today our guest uh, is uh, Richard Markson. Hello Richard and thank you for Hello, joining Fabrizio. us. And uh, it's a great pleasure to introduce you to our audience today. Uh, Richard has just arrived here in Los Angeles from Mexico for a concert he's going to have in a few days at the USC. Markson is one of the finest cellists of our time. He had his debut in London in 1970, at which the Times proclaimed him a quite outstanding cellist. But how did his career start? Richard Markson began to study the cello at the age of 12 with Paul Tortelier, who actually invited him to become one of his pupils. And that's really amazing to me, Richard. Um, how actually that did happen? Well, I, I started the cello actually before that. I mean, I started when I was eight. Um, my mother was a musician, she was a pianist, and she was determined that I should choose a more sensible profession than music. But my then cello teacher was very insistent that uh, since this was my wish and I really wanted to be a cellist, and I was quite sure about this from a very early age, that I should pursue it. And Tosselier happened to be coming to, to Glasgow, which was my hometown, to, to perform. And so she arranged for me to play to him. And uh, I went there with my mother and he listened to me and seemed to uh, say the kind of things that every mother likes to hear about <laughs> her son. And, um, and was absolutely um, unequivocal that I should, you know, leave school, I should come and study with him straight away. And as a sort of afterthought, he, he turned around to me and said, and, and uh, how old are you, my boy? And I said, I'm 12. And he thought about it. He's a little late, but we will manage. It's <laughs> pretty funny. So did you move, actually, in yeah. Paris? Yes. Uh, wow. So was... My parents had lots of sleepless nights. I see. <laughs> well, I believe you. Oh, that's really amazing. And so after that, actually, you worked with uh, Pierre to uh, Fournier later on? Well, I stayed with Tosselier for about six years. Okay. And uh, after that, I began to work with Fournier. And that was a slightly different relationship because with Tosselier, I was seeing him very intensively. I was part of a class at the Conservatoire in Paris, which met twice a week for four hours with him. And uh, with Fournier, it was a more adult relationship and it, it lasted until he died. I was, I suppose, for about 17 years. I continued to go to, to, to Geneva to have occasional lessons from him. Wow. So your uh, soloist career started uh, with your contact with uh, Fournier? in some way? Or? Well, well, I think I was always playing. I mean, I think all through my studies I was giving some concerts. But Fulney was particularly active in, in, um, in talking to people on my behalf. Oh, I see. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I know that actually you um, played anywhere in the world. I know that you made more than 26 world tours extending from Far East to South America. And uh, so you are always around. And, um, and then in the mid-80s, you began your conducting career. Yes. So 
under what circumstances that started? Well, I think the first thing I would say is that I think whether you want to be a cellist, a violinist, a trombonist, a flautist, or a conductor, you need to be a musician. And um, I think that my interest in music perhaps was stronger than any particular interest in an instrument, although I adored the cello, I fell in love with the cello, obviously. And the, but the cello, the solo repertoire for the cello is very small by comparison with what you, the repertoire that's available to you as a conductor. So I was fascinated at the possibility of um, becoming involved with so much music that um, that was that was a very important factor. Another factor was that I had also become very interested in teaching, and I think that a conductor in many ways is also a teacher. And I've enjoyed very much working with orchestras where I've been able to somehow make use of my experience both as a teacher and as a, as a cellist to, 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 to develop the orchestra. That's wonderful. In fact, about the teaching, I know that you have been involved in teaching uh, all your entire career and uh, you had master classes anywhere in the world. Uh, I have a list of countries here where you taught and you came the United States, Jamaica, Brazil, Mexico, Australia, Colombia, Hong Kong, Peru, Taiwan, Singapore and India. Did I forget something? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's amazing. How many pupils do you have around the world? Well, I wouldn't say they were all pupils. Uh, <laughs> um, Occasionally, I, I've, um, out of idle curiosity, I've sort of, I've Googled myself <laughs> really? and, found, and found pupils claiming to have studied with me that I don't remember anything about at all. <laughs> I understand, that's pretty mm. funny. Amazing. And I, I, sh I don't want to forget also your re uh, recent appointment to a senior fellowship at the Trinity College of Music in London. Mm -hmm. That's quite an accomplishment. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, also, uh, Richard has recorded several CDs during uh, his entire career, and the latest ones include uh, uh, the complete uh, uh, Bach Suites, uh, the complete Beethoven and Brahms Sonatas, yes. with uh, uh, Corge Federico Osorio, yes. and the Vorjak Cello Concerto with the Orchestra Philharmonica de Queretaro, conducted by Jose Guadalupe Flores in Mexico. And he also took care of our best sheet music editions, such as the major uh, cello repertoire um, and much more. Uh, you can go actually on our website at www.virtualsheetmusic.com slash interviews slash Markson to find out more about Markson's CDs and sheet music digital editions. So let's move on with um, the questions we have been collecting the past few days on our website from our audience. We got actually more than 50 questions, so we could pick uh, the most voted ones and organize them by uh, topic. So the first questions uh, are about music performance in general, and the most voted one was uh, by Matthew Ventura, who asks, what do you consider to be the most important lesson learned in your musical career? Very difficult to say. There's so many lessons. Very hard to say. I, I think I think a theme that would run through all my experiences, the 
the importance of being an, uh, um, an all-round musician, the importance of not looking at music through any particular instrument, but really standing back and seeing music in, in, in a different scale. I, I remember, for example, you know, Tortelier made his career initially with Don Quixote. That was the piece that uh, propelled him to fame when he played it with Sir Thomas Beecham in England. And uh, he actually, when you read when you read the novel of Cervantes, you actually the description, the physical description of Don Quixote resembles Totelier a great deal. He looks very much like the knight of Don Don, Don Quixote. Um, and on stage, uh, Totelier, who was also a wonderful comedian but a wonderful actor, um, I mean, he, he on stage he actually lived the part died at the end and things like that, dropped his bow and was quite theatrical. Um, but what I remember after all these um, things would happen on the stage, I remember coming back home, this was in Glasgow, I remember him coming back after a performance of Don Quixote and sitting at the piano without any reference to the score and just simply going through the entire piece and analyzing it and and explaining to me about the different harmonies that uh, Strauss used and, and why he had done this rather than that and how his genius had enabled him to come up with this rather than that and he knew absolutely every single note of the piece and he'd really studied it so so deeply and I, this impressed me because whatever showmanship there was in the public performance there was such a, a serious musician underneath um, which is why he was Paul Totelli, of course. But so, so that that impressed me as being perhaps perhaps you could say that was the most important lesson about yeah, music. Yeah, sure, I understand. Thank you. And uh, okay, the second question is actually uh, by myself. I posted this question, but I didn't think that people would would have voted for it so much. And uh, the question is, um, I can ask you directly: What's the what's the best experience you ever had in your musical career? Well, I have to ask you, do you mean as a performer or do you mean just in general as in a musician? General. Yes, as, as a musician. Because I think the greatest, I, because I would say these are two different, I would give you two different answers. Um, as, a, as, a, as a listener, there, there are just certain performances that I feel were, that I, that I attended that were for me sort of unrepeatable and could never be could never be equal again um, Brahms D minor piano concerto with Claudio Arau happened to be uh, one of my mentors somebody I was very close to and that I admired perhaps more than any musician um, Hammer Clavier with Rudolf Serkin when I heard him play that in Paris Ram C minor symphony with Kurt Mazur in Leipzig Gewandhaus in Mexico once. I, I, there are certain performances which just somehow or other stood out. Kurt Sandling uh, conducting Tchaikovsky IV in London, the Festival Hall, when he was 87. I've never heard it, never heard that symphony sound so wonderful before or since. And I never will. I'm sure I never will. <laughs> so these were, you know, a handful of performances that to me were in the highest possible musical, spiritual, um, 
inspirational level. Sure, absolutely. By people who were absolutely giants in their in their field. As a performer, um, that's more difficult. I sometimes feel that one movement of one piece went quite well. <laughs> um, I've had enormous pleasure as a conductor in in getting to know certain works that are getting to know them more intimately, like the opportunity in Brazil a few years back of um, spending a month with nothing on the agenda except the Fori Requiem and working with everybody, working with the choir, working with the solos, working with the orchestra and, and just living that piece. Sure. That was something absolutely amazing for me. Last, last year I, I learned for the first time the Scottish Symphony of Mendelssohn and I fell in love with that piece, absolutely was in, in another world with it. Okay, the, the third question is by Orlando Manta, who asks, can musicality be taught? The, 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 the quick, short answer is, <laughs> I think, is no. I think, I think, I think musicality, musicality if, if that is exactly, if that's the word, musicality is innate. Mm. But obviously, um, once, if you have musicality, um, there's an enormous amount that you can do to develop it into, into musicianship. I don't think musicality and musicianship are necessarily the same thing. But I don't really think you can be a musician if you don't have an innate musicality. And then we got an interesting question about conducting by K.M. All, who asks, what makes a great conductor? Well, I'll go back to my, <laughs> my light motif and say that I think you have to be a great musician. So, first, that's the first thing. You, you, I think you can't be a great cellist or a great conductor um, without being a, a, a great musician. That's the first thing. Um, but a conductor, I think there are specific things. Actually, a lot of people have gone into conducting without really training. And I know what you mean. I think <laughs> I've, been, I've been a violinist in orchestra for many years, you've been and a, I know exactly You've been you a long sufferer, yes? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, when I, when I, went, I, when I uh, met my teacher, who was a wonderful, he was a great master, um, Ezra Rachlin. He was a, a protege of Fritz Reiner. Um, actually, he was a phenomenal pianist. He was, gave his first full-length piano recital when he was four or five years old, I think it was. Um, but anyway, he... When, he, when I went to him, um, already at a fairly mature stage, uh, he asked me whether I had any conducting lessons, and I said no, and he said, well, thank God for that. <laughs> and, and he then started to train me properly, uh, so, because there is a lot which, on a, on a purely technical, physical level, which, um, which can make things a lot easier. Ideally, you want to be able to get up in front of an orchestra and say nothing and the orchestra should be able to understand exactly what you mean, ideally. Um, not always possible. But also I think the force of personality, I mean, you, you actually need to be able to persuade a hundred or so musicians to, to, to do what you want them to do. You have to, make it, you have to persuade everyone to phrase something the way in which you want the piece to go, and that requires personality as well. It needs a certain personal magnetism, I think. And, and, and some, I would have said, uh, perhaps some kind of psychological ability to know how to handle people. 
It may be that you handle them with charm. It may be that you handle them with absolute relentless persistence. Um, it may be that you're the kind of conductor who explodes and has tantrums and all the rest of it. But whatever you do, and maybe you need all of these at different times, you have to be able to command the, the authority necessary to persuade uh, some not necessarily um, holy sort of... Uh, Terrorism? <laughs> uh, uh, not everybody in the orchestra is necessarily well disposed to the conductor. I would say, in fact, it's the exception rather than rule when, when, when orchestral musicians actually like a conductor. They, they don't like conductors on the whole. They, they get very annoyed with conductors, very irritated with conductors who stop and give them long lectures about things. They just want to know where to come in and where to come to stop, and they want someone to beat time clearly and everything. And it's, uh, it's quite difficult. It's very, it can be very difficult, and to to handle the musicians, to to sense the dynamics of how to get the best out of everybody. Um, so yes, first and foremost, you have to have the authority of being a, a really fine musician. But then I think there are lots of other things. Absolutely. I agree. I think you got the point <laughs> the right way. Okay, and then we have uh, several questions about the cello itself and the technique related with it. And the first question is by Karen Grove, who asks, what suggestions do you give students for producing marvelous tone? Well, bowing technique is the, is, is the most important thing. I mean, the bow is what produces the sound, not the left hand. The left hand has to be in the right place at the right time. There is, of course, vibrato, but vibrato is almost like a an extra quality. It's almost like the varnish on top. But really, the essence of the sound comes from the bow. And I think bow contact, which has to do with how you position the bow, the speed of the bow, how close to the bridge or far away from the bridge, how much weight, how much natural... Um, finding natural weight rather than force. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, I was tremendously influenced by Claudio Rao um, on the piano because he was brought up in the, tr in the Liszt tradition. He, he studied with Martin Krause, who was a pupil of Liszt. And the whole philosophy was that the upper body should be entirely, all the muscles should be entirely loose and relaxed and you just play with the natural weight. And Arau succeeded in him, even in Fortissimo, he never, never to make um, a, a harsh sound. And I found that actually very um, interesting, and I think I perhaps adapted some of what he had to say to the cello. But it has to do with being relaxed, using a natural weight, and above all having bow contact, which in the case of a string instrument, well, I think bows are always to do with string instruments, um, also involves the use of the fingers a great deal. I mean, the, the wind players have the embouchure, which involves the interplay between the tongue and the teeth. And I think it's very important on a string instrument that we use the phalanges and that we really, we, we really control the sound from the, with the tips of the fingers. Yeah, are there in the cello, like in the violin, different techniques to handle the bow with the hand? Absolutely, but everything we do comes from the violin. Yeah, sure, it's just a 
Because I mean, Casals was 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 never taught by a cellist. He was only taught by a violinist. That's right, actually. Okay, so the next question about the cello is by S. R. Ross, who asks, "Would you give us some suggestions for daily warm-up and scale practice?" That's a it's a it's an interesting question. Um, we have debates in the various musical institutions as to whether scales and exercises should be part of the curriculum. Some people are strongly in favor, some people are strongly against. Um, I just feel that, that one should never really separate uh, music from, from technique. And if you are going to work at technical exercises, then I think you should, have to, you should always do so in, in, in a musical way. You should play a scale as if you were playing a Mozart sonata. Um, it should never be just something that, well, okay, this is a mechanical thing I do you know, to, to warm up the same way as I might brush my teeth or whatever, you know. Sure. It has to be something that, that, that's musical. But having said that, and having myself done all of that as a student, I'm, nowadays I don't really believe in it very much. I, I think it's far better just to to, to to look, to start with the music, to have a musical conception and to work at the technique in, in the most detailed and physical way, but in relation to that musical conception. And then from there, it might be the case that you would develop specific technical exercises that would assist you, but it should always be led by a musical conception. That's, that's the way I feel about it nowadays. Absolutely, I agree with that completely. Thank you. And um, the third question about the cello is by Gail Tivendale, who asks, what technical advice would you give to an ex-violinist who wants to play the cello? Well, funnily enough, I've known a few violinists who've picked up the cello, and the, the problem is always the angle, because they tend to be, they tend to play, um, they turn, their, their, their hands are a little bit twisted, their arms are a bit twisted. Um, I think it's very important uh, on the cello to, to have a fairly square position. I think the left hand should be perpendicular to the fingerboard and the bow. Actually, the, the position of the cello is, is a, in some ways more natural than the, than the violin. I think it's it should be it should yeah, be more I think natural. That's it, it is more natural. But but I, but in general, I found violin students tended to play, tended to tended to angle um, their positions too much in relation to the violin. So I think that's the main thing is to is to is to correct that. Perfect. Thank you. And the fourth question is by Anna Finley Brown, who asks, how do you control nerves? when play in public. That's something that interests me too. <laughs> well, you know, there have been many books written about this and many people have done their PhD thesis on the subject as well. <laughs> and, um, but I actually think that the, the only answer is the answer that, that Pierre Fournier gave to a, a student in, in my presence when he was asked, I still remember him sitting there smoking a cigar, and these people said, and, but Maestro, what do you do about nerves? And he took a puff of a cigar, I said, 
learn to play with them. <laughs> that was all. Easy to say than to do. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. That's the. Uh, I think people sometimes become nervous. Are nervous about the fact that they're nervous. Hmm. I think people think, "Oh dear, I'm nervous." Well, yeah, yes, that's right. Of that's course right. they're nervous. That's absolutely right. Of course they're nervous. Every every we're all nervous. And and I say to my students that if they're nervous, they don't. They haven't, they haven't seen anything yet. Wait, just wait another 10 years or 20 years, they'll be even more nervous. So what are you telling is there's not no, a technique to avoid to have stage fright? Be prepared, I mean, learn the pieces properly. Be really very solid in musically and technically and everything so that you don't have a bad conscience. I think that that's, would be good advice perhaps. But apart from that, just accept the fact that you will be nervous sure. and perhaps even play better because of it. Absolutely. But having said that, I think I think it's also true that there are certain people that I would say have performing temperaments. Um, certain certain musicians, no matter how nervous they get when they're up out on stage, it's somehow they, it, it brings the best out of them. And there are some people, unfortunately, who are just not performing animals and who perhaps work, play better at home than they do in public. And uh, but I, I don't think there's any particular um, psychological preparation that um, that helps. Not really, no. I think it's important that you're concentrated and you focus on what you're doing. I don't think yeah. you should be sort of going out um, playing basketball and five minutes before you have to go on stage or things like that. I think you, you, you have to be focused on what you're doing. And I think some, in my case, I often find that um, what helps me with nerves is just to be really concentrated on the music. Absolutely. Thank you. And the sixth question about cello, uh, actually the fifth question, sorry, is by Maggie Georgi or Georgi, who asks, what made you feel cello was your instrument rather than violin, viola or bass? I just heard a cello when I was very young. Actually, I mentioned earlier that my mother was a pianist. Uh, she studied with a, a very distinguished pianist and conductor called Walter Suskind, um, whose first wife, um, Eleanor Warren, was a cellist. And I heard that was how I heard the cello for the first time and just asked my parents if I could have a cello. Simple as that. Very simple. All right. And then we have a sixth question, uh, which is by Christine Kruger who asks, are there any pieces of music you recommend for beginning cellists? Well, I'm not sure what she means by beginning beginners. I think beginners. Yeah, uh, I think, yes. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I tend to feel that, that, that in the early stage, uh, people are kept in the early stages too long. Um, for example, if you think that the fingerboard of the cello is like a keyboard, I mean, I remember the first lesson I had from Totelje, he put the cello on his lap and he said, now we have a keyboard. And this was to illustrate the, the importance of the angle of the, you know, the, the hand being square and all that sort of thing. But actually there's no strong, if you were playing the piano, for example, you wouldn't uh, spend so many years working at pieces that only went from middle C to one octave above and one octave below. You wouldn't limit yourself to any particular part of the piano. 
And I think it's a big mistake that so often cellists are actually uh, <coughs> kept in the first four positions before you get to thumb position uh, for years and years and years. And, and then when they do learn thumb, thumb, thumb position, it becomes such a major adjustment that uh, they are never quite comfortable with it. Whereas I think if the position of the instrument, if, if you actually incorporate thumb position almost from the beginning or very near the beginning, you, 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 you have the position of your hand. The reason I'm saying all this is that this would then enable people not to be so restricted in repertoire. So, but even if you were not playing in thumb position, the Vivaldi sonatas are, are wonderful music, wonderful music. and. I think they should all. I think that's obviously something that would be good to play when you're young, when you're, sure. very, when you're, when you're starting up. I don't see any reason why um, a reasonably gifted uh, beginner couldn't, within say, 18 months or so, attempt to play some of the Vivaldi sonatas. And it's far better than some of the silly little pieces that are that are given to beginners. Yeah, I think this will make happy a lot of people <laughs> so they can start playing advanced pieces of music before than expected, so that's great. Okay, I think we are done with the questions from our audience. I have a, my final question, which is, how many times do you plan to come here in Los Angeles again in the near future? I have no idea, absolutely <laughs> no idea. I never know what's, what's around the corner. Uh, the last time I was here, I didn't know I was going to be here now. I thought it was possible, but I wasn't sure. That's right. Uh, but I hope very much to come back yeah, soon. Yeah, we really hope to see you again. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. And thank you for watching. Thanks. Thanks.